Guys, mental health is something that Dan and I are extremely passionate about, which is why it excites us to say that we are partnering with BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode and our podcast. BetterHelp is the world's leading therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professional and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, more scheduling flexibility, and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash BacksideGroundBalls. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash BacksideGroundBalls. by Riverside. Welcome back to episode 91 of the Backside Ground Balls podcast. Coming to you here on a Tuesday evening. We're recording this episode will be coming out on Wednesday morning. My name is Trevor Powers, and as always, I am joined by my co-host Dan Galati, as well as our producer Phoebe. Dan, as we sit here today, one day removed from the national championship unfolding, how are we feeling about how this college baseball season went and, and specifically the, the LSU Tigers are our national champions? Yeah, kind of looking back, it almost feels like we kind of, you and I at least, if you go back and listen to any of our college episodes from early in the season and throughout the season, it kind of felt like we knew this was going to happen all along. Um, you know, kind of from the moment we had Leon knowing how loaded this roster was, how good they were to me and you going and seeing them in person um, and just kind of following them all year. We kind of knew that they were this good and it kind of felt like this was one of the only possible outcomes, I guess. We knew it was kind of championship or bust. I think we asked Leah that that question exactly. Like, is this championship or bust? And they did it. It's impressive. It was, it was yeah, they, an impressive win, too. Or, yeah. Well, for anybody that – wasn't on the face of the earth at this point in time yesterday. Uh, the Tigers won 18 to four against the Florida Gators. They gave the the Gators a little bit of a taste of their own medicine after the Gators happened to win 24 to four on Sunday. Um, but let's talk about the Tigers specifically. We don't need to get into the Gators. We can talk a little bit about it uh, specifically to the game yesterday, but you know, you said it early in the season. We definitely kind of had this circled as the team to beat. Um, I think as we continue to go through the season, and obviously the injuries to Grant Taylor, 
The underperformance of Christian Little and Thatcher heard, but obviously the performance from Paul Skeens, that was better than what anybody had imagined. Um, there were some pitching question marks, but they were the consensus preseason number one team. They ended the season 54 and 17. They never went below five in the national rankings, and they were obviously led by the superstars and finalists for the Golden Spikes Award, Dylan Cruz, who ended up winning that award, as well as Paul Skeens. And you could probably argue Paul probably deserved that award a little bit more with the environment we were playing in this year, uh, with home runs being what they were. But this team was super impressive. Uh, we got it from the first day uh, when Leah came on here and talked about just how good this lineup was, how good this talented this how talented this pitching staff was. But I think as we went through the year, the question marks came up. Right, there were real question marks. There were real bullpen concerns. There were real starting rotation depth concerns, and they showed up in the regular season and. They were able to alleviate that. Um, They got through the ultimate marathon in college baseball, the College World Series, and playing the extra game against Wake because they had to come from the loser's bracket, and then three games in the final and still were able to show the ability to pitch it at a high level. So my question for you, Dan, is what do you attribute most that turnaround on the pitching staff, and was it just guys with stuff? getting on the mound and trusting that stuff? Was it just law of averages working out for really talented players? Or do you think there was something consciously changed across the pitching staff? I'm not there every day. Uh, so it's hard to answer that, but Wes Johnson, I mean, thank you for the in-depth analysis from I'm, I, the pitching guy. I'm well, not no, there every I mean, day. I, 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 well, I'm not. So it's hard to know whether there was a change, you know, that, they put into effect, you know, I, I don't know if, if there was a, a mindset. I mean, I'm sure there was a mindset change. I'm sure there's a lot of conversations. I think Wes Johnson is a guy and one something that makes him such a good pitching coach is his adaptability. And they showed that throughout the year with how they use different guys, right? The role, the expansion of the role of Thatcher Hurd. They had to mix and match, like you said, because Christian Little was a huge disappointment for them, I feel like. Um, but you saw when they got to Omaha, especially and in the postseason, like you could tell that Ty Floyd – Ty Floyd was clearly working on stuff to get better um, and kind of get through, work through those strike zone problems. And, you know, I think it certainly helps when you have a guy who goes out there every week and is going to be dominant. It makes it a lot easier to work through some of the other problems and cover up some of the other flaws because you know that Paul Skeens is going to go out there and, and, and get you a win. So you, you, you basically bank a win every, at least one every week. And then you got to go from there. And I think, you know, also, some of the things that hurt them early on were guys were thrust into situations that I don't think they necessarily would have wanted to be in with all of the injuries, right? You talk about Grant Taylor and you talk about, um, you know, Dylan Shores and um, remind me of the big boy's name that got hurt at Edwards. South Carolina. Yeah, Garrett Edwards. Thank you. And you have to turn to Riley Cooper in higher leverage situations. And in the beginning, right, like that's a new role for a kid and, and Griffin Herring, who's a freshman, is now having to pitch bigger innings. And Gavin Guidry, who gets brought in as a two-way guy. These are all the guys you watch pitch. Nate Ackenhausen, they didn't lose a game that Nate Ackenhausen started until that the game two of the finals. Um, and so trying to piece that together for Jay Johnson and Wes Johnson is like, okay, this is what we thought we had. This is what we're working with. And sometimes it takes a while to fit those pieces into that puzzle. Yeah, and I think that it's a lot easier to work through those things when you have a lineup that consists of really superstars in college baseball, right? Top to bottom, 
Jordan Thompson struggled in the postseason and specifically in Omaha, but that's still a guy who can lose a ball. He can leave the yard off of any arm across the country. You know, obviously the Hayden Travinsky, Alex Malazzo, which uh, Alex Malazzo obviously tragically broke his leg scoring a run last night in the national championship game, but uh, he wasn't exactly that the offensive force that Travinsky was throughout the year, but he was glove first defender and able to play at a high level from that. And, you know, Josh Pearson was able to provide this team value in different ways as well. And specifically last night, having a really good game, a really big home run early um, in that game. So just being able to kind of balance all of those things and have the studs, you know, the studs across that, that roster and that lineup makes that those struggles of the pitching staff, not as they don't stand out as much, really, quite frankly, that you're able to work through things. You're able to win a 10, nine barn burner when your starter gives you an inning and a third on a Sunday, right? You have the faith that your lineup is going to be able to score and give you a chance in that moment. But let's let let us go back to last night, obviously um, just big picture wise and kind of talk about what we saw. It wasn't an exciting game for any stretch of any baseball fan. I think when Wyatt Langford hit that home run in the first, it was pretty cool. You thought maybe, is this going to be the Thatcher Hurd that struggles that we've seen? And then it just became a walk fest. I mean, I I want to give LSU credit, um, but Caglianone, who obviously is lauded as one of the best players in the country and a Golden Spikes Award finalist, struggled to find the strike zone. And the guy who pitched before him and started game two of the College World Series, Hurston Waldrop, who's a guy that's as talented as anybody and was really pitching his best baseball in the postseason, walked six and two and two thirds. You know, and just the free bases gave LSU the national championship. And not saying they didn't earn it, but it made it easy and it made it excruciating to watch as well. But Florida's pitching really stunk. Throughout the, the throughout the final here, I mean, it was like that was one of the biggest disappointments, right? Because you know, I thought I was pretty excited to watch that LSU lineup throw against, um, especially the first two guys from Florida, or sorry, face the first two guys from Florida, um, because of how good they had pitched throughout the tournament, and then none of them. I mean, the fact that Sprout even gave them, I think it was four, five innings, four innings. Like even the Five. fact that he danced around that and 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 because he walked six guys I think as well and and he had traffic. That's the night that LSU left seventeen on. They left eighteen on last night. Like that just goes to show you how bad Florida's pitching was when teams leave thirty five runners on in two games of a three game set. Your pitching staff isn't getting it done, and it was a little bit shocking. I mean, we had Jacob on, and he kind of. He kind of said this was the concern before Omaha that they could run into this problem where these guys don't fill up the strike zone. They're not attacking and they fall behind hitters. And that's exactly what we saw, unfortunately, for them late in it. And I mean, it like I don't know how much else to say other than it was like it was extremely disappointing because, you, again, Waldrop too, a guy who people going into this, <coughs> some people liked him better than Skeens. Um, which again, I like him. I think he's probably the third best pitcher in this draft class. Um, that's just me personally. Uh, and to, and that, that right there is kind of the biggest concern because the college zone is a little bit bigger than the zone you're going to get in pro ball. 
And if you're struggling with it in the college level, like that raises some red flags, not enough to, you know, knock them too far down in the draft. But to me, it's just like you expect, you know, we want to see those guys at the biggest stage live up to it. And and I don't know about you, but I don't see Caglione as a two-way guy. I know there's going to be a lot of talk and, you know, he's probably going to be consensus number one going into next year's the first overall pick. You know, before the college season starts, that'll be the hype around him. He'll be a Golden Spikes Award finalist probably again. That's what, you know, kind of the buzz that he's going to attract. He did hit 33 homers. He's a fantastic offensive player. He's a good first baseman. But I just don't see him being able to do both. I mean, he's a 97-mile-an-hour arm from the left side, which is extremely impressive to throw the ball that hard. But doesn't he just scream like not a pitcher? Like he's like that – He's like, it, and, it's almost kind of like high school to me yeah. where it's like, yeah. oh, this is our best player. He throws really hard. We're going to bring him in and just hope he kind of has an idea where it's going today. Yeah. And even to a certain extent, I know he had no command of it, but I didn't think his stuff looked that good. No, like, I don't think his all speed stuff is good at all. No. Personally. And his fastball really was more, probably more sync than life. Like it's not, you know, he had that, that wicked one that Trey Morgan fell over on. And obviously that was getting all the love on social media. And then he ended up oh blowing, gosh. imploding in the second <laughs> inning. So obviously out. he has some movement in his pitches to make some uncomfortable at bats, but like, just, it didn't look like a true 90 set. Like, overpowering no. 97 no. right like we watched ty floyd at 94 to 97 consistently and it was like that thing is just unhittable it looks right? like it's one and or then, two yeah and then you watch caglianone and it was just like easy pick guys were picking up on it um so n- i'm with you maybe a reliever if he can rein it in um and throw strikes but even then, like 97 with an okay fast, and again, I don't know the fastball profile, so I'm just going off of what we've seen in, from video um, and test. obviously looks and eye test. So it's far from a, oh, this guy's fastball doesn't profile as a bit. It could. Like it very well could, and we could be completely missing the point here. Um, but I just don't see it happening with the stuff he possesses right now because every – lefty in a bullpen throws 97 right like it's and they have command of it and they have and like that's if he makes it as a bullpen arm like because i think at this point in time that's his only outlook is bullpen arm position player right like doing both dh and come in and close or something of that nature would be the only chance he has at doing both at the next level what's the value of that at the next level I mean, I think it could be very valuable. You I think because so? of roster roster size wise, we talk well, about you just have to you know burn the ability DH to then. use. So you, I guess you would. You can go pitcher DH, guy, right? can you not? Well, no, yeah. I, I mean, don't if they can return to the game, as I think you. Burn, no, he can't return to the game. So, but, so you'd have to throw him the last inning, or else don't aren't you? Yeah, burning have to your be DH the last then? inning. Yes, it'd have to be the last inning. Because then you're but, like, that's the only risk, and that's where I don't know that. Like, it works out well right now with, with Otani because he's a starter, right? And you just know, like, all right, that day of the week, like, he starts as the starting pitcher. When he comes out, he stays in as the designated hitter. But as a reliever, it's just a little trickier. Also, the warming yeah. up thing's a little weirder um, just because you got to get him, you know, from the dugout down to the bullpen back down um, if his spot in the order comes. I don't know. I'm just curious. Is uh, We haven't seen that really ever no i I I I know a lot of people mentioned it when otani was struggling to stay healthy 
um, that was kind of one of the yeah. things that people had started to to circle around and and I'm this is not a Kaglinan just like torch sesh, but like no. he he's not even close to Otani. Oh my gosh, no. Like I know, <laughs> I know he we gets gave a him lot of nickname, but Yeah, it, it, and it, people like people legitimately like ESPN was like, This guy is the Shohei Otani. No, like no. No, like mm-hmm. Brendan McKay was ten times the player Caglianone was in college, and Brendan McKay has not been able to stay healthy at the next level. But um, so it, it's just obviously the fanfare that comes with him and himself, but just not not up to that level. But this is not a, a sit here and talk about the future of Jack Caglianone. But like, let's talk about the Florida's pitching staff, and and I do want to talk about LSU specifically as well because they are our national champions. But that was concerning, right? Like that was you look at, and and it's funny because we talked to Jacob and then followed it up talking to Jamie about TCU. And you want to talk about two completely different styles, right? Yeah. Of pitching, right? You right. look at Florida, Florida recruits, Power. high V low stuff, stuff, stuff through the roof might not know where it's going, but catch Hurston Waldrop on a good day. And you're going to get, you're probably not getting any hits. And then you talk about Kirk Sarlos and 90 to 92 low stuff guys, command first guys, develop them into strike throwers. And I'm not sitting here saying that Florida is at a crossroads, right? But because they got there, right? And their talent is good enough to get them there. But they walked a lot of hitters like this week. They walked, Sprout walked five, Caglianone walked six, or Caglianone walked three and hit two. Right. Waldrop walks six, right. and none of these guys made it through more than the and last can, two right. didn't make it through three, and like that's just something that I don't know if it's a coaching issue, I don't know if it's a development issue, I don't know what it is because we've seen the ability for pitching staffs to rein in stuff. We always circle back when it comes to pitching. Wake Forest, right? Those guys have really good stuff, but they also throw a lot of strikes. I don't know if you have any opinions on what it takes to develop strike throwers with high stuff guys. If, if, is it a thing that takes more than one year like you just get with Hurston Waldrip? Um, what kind of goes into that process and, and what could Florida be looking to do to take maybe that you know next step to get Caglion in the strike zone more? Yeah, it's a fine line because I think um... – Sometimes it's a, you know, sometimes it's, it's, it's weird to say this. Sometimes there's just an innate ability for some people to have accuracy. And I know that's like not a great answer, but it's true. Like in a lot of times you'll see like people get older, their, you know, command gets better because you just become more mature. And that's just something that you start to, that proprioception just becomes something that you start to learn. But I think there's a fine line too, because sometimes I think a lot of times with command throwers, you know, guys who command the ball, it's mechanical, but velocity is also mechanical. And sometimes that tweak to make the change from where guys are at, like Caglione or, or even Waldrop to get them to be, you know, command heavy guys, you might be losing whatever that is that, that creates that velocity. But, you know, I do think it's something that takes time. Look, if you're someone who's been, you know, it's, it's kind of almost like putting a governor on it. You know, I, I, talked to a big league pitcher a couple of years ago and, and asked him kind of about, you know, his bullpen intensity. 
because um, I was with him for a bullpen, and he was talking about how he sits at 90% in his bullpens, and then when he takes the mound, that perceived exertion is still 90% when he goes out there. He gets the boost from the adrenaline of the lights being on and seeing another uniform to get him to that 10, 100%. And I think sometimes guys who have that stuff and that 100 and you see Skeens, I bet you Skeens is the same way. I bet you Skeens throws his bullpens at 92, 93. And that's kind of the same feeling he takes into a game. But when the adrenaline's kicking, that fastball comes out at 99, 100. And that's why he commands it so well, if that makes sense. And that's something that always stuck with me. And, and that's hard to translate because that's, I mean, <laughs> take it from experience. I tried to translate that same thing to a lot of, you know, my guys when I was coaching. It's like, I want you at 90% in your bullpens. 85, 90%. And then I want you at 90% in the game. I just need the adrenaline to take over, right? Because I need you to be able to focus and and kind of set your sights. It's an old school thing that some people make fun of, but that I still really believe in is like being able to kind of visualize it and then be able to do it and have the mechanics repeatable to do it is something that takes some guys, like it takes some maturation to get done. And if you're out and if, if you're going through high school and you're a hard thrower, always been a hard thrower, you can get away with it and you'll just continue to be that, you know, accelerator all the way down type of guy. And it's hard to kind of rein that back in and put the governor on it. That's why you look at someone like Rhett Louder, who was 76 or 78 to 84. How do you think he learned how to get outs? He learned how to get outs by manipulating the baseball and being able to throw it where he wants. Now that it's 95, he's a top pick in the major league baseball draft because now he has, he's always had the proprioception to be able to, to, you know, put the ball where he wants to manipulate it. And now he also has the the velo to back it because he's gotten the mechanics. He's gotten stronger. The arm action's gotten better. So it's, it's a tough thing. And, and I think you're right when you say sometimes it takes more than a year. Like if they had another year with Waldrop, I bet you we'd see a different guy. Yeah. And well, yes, even though I think Southern Miss has arguably great, one of the best pitching coaches, wrong, but it's in, just in another country. year of aging. Yeah, mm-hmm, exactly. It's, it's, it has nothing to do with the player development at either nope. of those places. It has more to do with Hurst and Waldrip taking that step forward. And, and I'm sure some major league organization is going to be super excited to get, you know, ace level, top of the rotation level stuff on four with four pitches because you believe like that Hurst you can, Waldrip. right? Because especially if I'm a major league organization, you know, I would think that like, okay, we're going to be able to, teach this. I want this. And that's how you see a lot of people draft at the major league level, right? Or take lottery tickets on guys at the major league levels. Like the stuff is there. We'll teach them how to command it. Mm -hmm. Now the next great debate is what's easier to teach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't want to spend any more time talking about Florida because we're going to get tabbed in Louisiana as LSU haters if we don't. But first, let's talk about our, our good friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek is your essential resource for live baseball. Now that Omaha is over, sadly disappointed. Obviously, no more college baseball until next February, which is very disappointing. MLB season is in full swing. Head over to SeatGeek for any of your ticket needs. Go to SeatGeek.com and use promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL. That's SeatGeek.com and promo code BACKSIDEGROUNDBALL to receive $20 off your first ticket purchase that's seatgeek.com promo code backside ground ball so dan the tigers are are the story front page news as we sit today across college baseball right 
So we're not going to sit here and bash on Florida any longer, even though we want to, and we want to figure out why their pitching staff isn't as good as they should be. So let's talk about the Tigers. This was obviously a historic season for a, not a historic franchise, a historic university. Um, they have plenty of national champions uh, across the board here and, and plenty of pro guys, plenty of guys that are that are super famous across college baseball. But this group specifically, it's a special group, right? The transfer portal opened up some new avenues for Jay Johnson to be the first head coach to win a national championship in his second year at a place. Found that out at the game, listening to the game last night. So that's super impressive and a credit to Jay Johnson and what he's built. But obviously that's been through addition through things like the transfer portal, which we're going to preview the offseason here. But guys like Tommy White, guys like Thatcher Hurd, guys like Paul Skeens, right? Those three guys made a huge impact with this team. But this team was built on a lineup, and it was built by one guy. Dylan Cruz is the guy. Cade Beloso being a leader there as well. Gavin Dugas, those guys were built in-house. So what I'll ask you here, because a lot of people are starting to murmur around the town here, outside of Baton Rouge, that this team was bought. NIL, Transfer Portal, all the things like that. And I see a lot of LSU fans sticking up for their guys that have been here since day one. Do you think Jay Johnson has created a model of a balance? Is he going all transfer portal? Is this a way to make a national championship winner overnight, even in a sport like college baseball, that there might not be as much you know, turnover in roster? Yeah, absolutely. I think this is, this is the world we live in, and I'm sorry to everyone who likes it and the people who continue to fight against it are just going to lose interest in college sports, I guess, because it's not changing. It's only going to continue to kind of develop and grow bigger a little bit. I mean, look, we see Chase Burns at Tennessee's in the transfer portal, right? And people are very upset. Why? Like, why? I don't understand. Like, life goes on, especially from a fan perspective. Like, I get you want to root for your guys and you always want to keep them around, but your team can go out and do this. And I think, you know, the answer is always going to be a balance of some kind, right? Like, you are going to need the, like, if you're going to completely ignore the transfer portal, you're going to get left behind if you're a program because it's too easy now to be able to bring guys in to fill a specific need or just bring in a higher caliber in a certain area of your team that you need with the transfer portal. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? But to also then have those program guys and those guys that are going to wear the number eight for that program like like Gavin Dugas and understand what it means to be at LSU and who wanted to be there from the beginning. And look, you don't think Tommy White would have committed to LSU from the beginning. Sometimes that's the case scenario too, right? He went to NC State. He set the freshman home run record. He blew up and he transferred closer to home, right? He grew up in St. Peach, St. Pete Beach, Florida, um, where I was a couple weeks ago. Uh, and so like for me, it's like having that balance of guys that come in as freshmen and, and you know, can be able to, you know, be in the program for two, three, four years, but also then bringing in guys that are that talented, especially when you're a big program like LSU. People want to go there. People want to play there. It's the facts of the matter. It's pretty much all across the SEC you look at that. People are going to want to go there. They're going to want to play. Uh, so I, I don't understand, you know, I, I – I get that people don't like change. Change can be um, unsettling, but this is the way that college sports are going. And Jay Johnson did a fantastic job building this roster. Imagine if they didn't have Paul Skeens. Imagine if they didn't have Tommy White. And imagine if they didn't have Thatcher Hurt. They don't win a national championship this year. No. 
Not at all. And that's what I was thinking of as you were talking was the fact that people aren't putting enough, like this team was good without those guys, but those guys made this team great, right? Like if you told me uh, Dylan Cruz, Cade Beloso, Trey Morgan, Gavin Dugas, top four without Tommy White sprinkled in the middle, that's, that's good, as good as good any lineup. across the country, right? But that's not national championship. Let's go. Like that guy in the middle there, Tommy White, drove in 100 runs. Like that's a huge deal to your lineup. Obviously having the best on-base hitter in the country and Dylan Cruz who gets on at a 56% clip or whatever it ended up being at the end of the year. But that helps him driving in runs. But Tommy White's a run producer in the league today, and and that's super important piece. But on the pitching side, it's even more important. I mean, where would they be today on the pitching side? We were worried about their pitching side bringing in transfers like Thatcher Hurd, Paul Skeens, Riley Cooper Riley was Cooper, a transfer yeah. too, right? Yeah. And he was the, a mainstay out of their bullpen and just Mr. Consistency, a guy who came from Arizona with Jay Johnson. So, you know, being able to fill out the edges of your roster with the transfer portal is what LSU is doing. Right. And that is a sustainable model. Trying to build your roster off of the transfer portal, I don't think that's a sustainable model because you have so many things that could go wrong, especially in a sport like baseball. Inconsistencies. Imagine if the only transfer portal addition they had was Christian Little or Carter Young, who ended up getting drafted. Right. Those guys that ended up not making an impact for this team, you can't just rely on you know, your whole roster to be transfer additions. It has to be the edges of your roster. It has to be those one or two guys that take you over the top. And and that's what this team was. And, and even like you want to talk about teams being disappointed from having their, their rosters poached. And I'm sure NC State wasn't happy. And, and I'm sure those teams weren't. But Air Force is super fired up for Paul Skeens. Right. Like Air Force was tweeting out congratulations. Air Force's pitching coach was at the games, everything. So it it is kind of cool to see that balance of, you know, obviously this is a competitive sport, but you have pitching coaches and universities that are fully supporting their player who's going to go make himself a couple million dollars in in a calendar month and, and make himself a professional career that when he committed to Air Force, he probably didn't imagine he was going to have. No, he was thinking about going and serving. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I, I just think that if if you're going to go off a model of strictly building from the transfer portal, it's you're playing with fire a little bit because it would be like saying that you were going to play only freshmen. You got to go out and recruit those, and guys can flip, and guys can change their mind, and guys can. It's just like that. You don't have enough of a window to build the core of your team. I think through the transfer portal, you can hit it out of the park like Jay Johnson did because you know. Yes, building that, you know, supplementing his roster. But like you said, you're supplementing with Tommy White, a guy who's 20 homers, 100 plus RBIs. That's not, you know what I mean? Like sticking a guy like that in the middle of the order, that changes the dynamic. Uh, Paul Skeens, I mean, obviously we knew he was going to be good. I don't know if anybody thought he would be quite this good when he got there. But still, like you're going out and you're pulling from the transfer portal the best arm in the country. Um, and then those other guys, I mean, the other guys are really kind of the model that you can build because the Tommy Whites and Paul Skeens aren't going to be possible every year. But Riley Cooper and Thatcher Hurd, those are the guys that you can bring in on a yearly basis to really, uh, you know, put your team over the top. You know, that added depth that is so hard to come by in college baseball and is so important. It's like, look, when you get to this time of year, I mean, 
you saw it. Like, it, it was crazy, but it felt like LSU, this is wild to say, it felt like LSU had more reliable arms, um, uh, like a higher number of reliable arms than Florida did. And we sat here and said that when this tournament started back in regionals, we didn't think LSU would win it because of their lack of arms. But, you know, the again, that's just what's made this team so impressive and, and you know, being able to build it that way, I think is smart. I think that is probably the way that most teams, if programs, if you want to win a national championship, this is the way you're going to have to do it because they're going to go celebrate in Baton Rouge tonight, tomorrow night, whenever it's going to be. But then I bet you next week we're going to hear some names of guys walking out the door at LSU, right? That's how it works. So they're going to have to do the whole thing again. They have a great class of freshmen coming in, but then he's going to have to go pick transfer portal guys up. Wouldn't be surprised if Chase Burns is in their rotation next year, quite frankly. Well, you just open it up and and let's just take the bait while we have it Uh, because I do want to talk about the future. Obviously, we spent a lot of time this year talking about the Tigers themselves. Like We could sit here and talk about Dylan Cruz and Cade Beloso and those guys. I mean, this lineup had – we'll just end it with this. This lineup had 24 hits and 49 at-bats last night and scored 18 runs. They were really good. They were the number one team in the preseason for a reason, but – the reality of college baseball, and this is one thing that for our listeners, I you know want to tease is the fact that we're going to get into this, right? We're going to follow this off season. We're going to try to get some guests on that might have a little bit more of background knowledge on what is going on across Division One baseball, and maybe even you know the Power Five and and the transfers of that level. But the transfer portal is wide open. And I'm, I want your opinion on this. I want to give my opinions on this. And I kind of want to go from there to, to kind of set the stage for the offseason. This is a little bit different than football, right? And the reason I say that is because top teams are committed to roster retention in college football. And rightfully so. That's where your, your focus should be. Um, there's a lot more money involved from name, image, and likeness at the football level. There's a lot more boosters wanting to put their hat in the ring. There's a lot more you know, just messiness going on. In college baseball, and we saw this last year where there's – a lot of surprise additions to the transfer portal. I don't think any like Carter Young looked like a a Vandy guy through and through, right? Started there as a freshman, played a lot, you know, struggled and coach Corbin stuck with him and he hit the portal, right? Now obviously he ended up getting drafted like and is in the Orioles system at this point in time. So it's not like he ever played for LSU, but it surprises some people and it surprised me specifically and the Paul Skeens to LSU's of the world that transfer will always make sense, right? Always makes sense. TCU just landed a guy from Wichita State who is a two-way player, superstar type type guy. He's going to pitch in their rotation. That type of transfer will always make sense. It's the Chase Burns leaving an SEC powerhouse that recruits at an elite level that has a chance to win a national championship and go to Omaha, and that he has a realistic chance to be the Friday or Saturday guy opening the year in the spring. So what are your thoughts as we look at what the transfer portal is? Because I am pro-player movement. I am pro-players making the best decisions for them. But when you have something in the nature of there isn't as much roster retention and there is a lot more of guys actually going in conference and, and taking the bait and making the switch and entering the portal in a scenario like Chase Burns where it seems like the writing on the wall is 
probably either of the two teams playing last night is probably the top two. As it stands today, I can't imagine how many other schools are going to get put their hat in the ring there, but those are probably going to be the top destination where a guy like Chase Burns, who has a great chance to be a Saturday guy on a national championship contender, decides to put his name in the portal. Yeah, and I wish I had like a, a, <laughs> a hot take for you. Um, or really even like a um, like a, a really formulated opinion on this because I don't because it's it's interesting and it's hard to really say other than you know did that move to the bullpen really bother him that much I don't think that's the case considering like you said he was probably gonna be like one of the their one or two next year right it's not like he wasn't going to get that opportunity again i'm sure of it his stuff is just way too good you look at his numbers and what he was able to do uh down the stretch for that team he was going to have an opportunity to start but you're right it does seem to me that there's a lot more at least in conference although you know now that i'm talking and thinking about right we saw caleb williams transfer last year i know his coach left but that's a high profile move you yeah, saw jordan addison the bullet in a cough winner transfer you saw this That's an upward season. trajectory. You saw Adonai Mitchell transfer from Georgia after winning back-to-back national champions as their top wide receiver leave the program. The year after, their other top wide receiver, Jermaine Burton, left the program and went to Alabama. So it happens. Um, is it still a little bit surprising and feels like it happens more in college baseball? It definitely does because, as you spoke of, I don't, I'm not saying this knowing it as a fact, but my assumption is that just like in everything else when it comes to money in college sports, I would imagine that the NIL deals are bigger for the football players and there isn't as much going around for baseball. So those moves are a little bit more surprising, right? You can understand in college football if like, you know, if Tennessee's going to pay a kid $7 million to transfer there, that's a fake made-up number, um, they'll do it. But in college baseball, is it going to be, is Chase Burns going to make that much more than he was making at Tennessee? I don't know. I can't imagine they, that he is. So it's interesting to me, but, you know, pitchers, because you have so many pitchers on a roster and you can only throw so many innings, you're always going to see pitchers transferring, whether it's transferring up, whether it's transferring laterally. I think you're always going to have, like, they're going to be the biggest case in it, cases of transfers. But then you see Wake Forest. I mean, Dan, who thought Danny Corona was going to hop in the portal? Played a huge role for Wake Forest. He was going to be a key cog in that lineup next year. He hopped in the portal today. So it's interesting, and again, it's just the environment that we kind of live in now with college sports, and it's going to continue to adapt, and it's going to continue to change, but um, it's kind of just where we are, and we kind of have to accept it. Um, I, I don't really know why you see it so much, but you make a good point. You see so much conference-to-conference transferring of guys who played a lot, like, you know, yeah. again, like like when you see it in, in football, maybe like, yeah, the the sophomore DB who didn't get that much playing time transfers to a school in the conference. Get it. I get it. Yeah. Chase Burns. Yeah. You don't <laughs> see – you don't see – and again, very well. Well, a great example is in college football this spring, Tyler Van Dyke was being offered legitimate amount of money to trans- enter the transfer portal, and there was a, a a school up north with welcoming him in with open arms, right? And that was the Alabama Crimson Tide, and Miami was able to keep him. Whatever they did to keep him, they were able to keep him. Colby Shelton it starts to murmur that he wants to enter the transfer portal. There's nothing to keep him. 
right? Like right. these guys that want to do this, that want to take that step up, right? Because Alabama is a top 20 program across the country, but they're not Florida, right? They're not right. Florida. And right. Tennessee's a top 10 program in the country, arguably top five, but they're not the reigning national champion. So there's still that upward trajectory aspect. And that's if Chase Burns ends up at LSU, he could very well end up back at Tennessee. But it, I just think the way I painted the picture in my own head was if you imagine this in football, right? Top 10 draft pick the year ahead of you. So they show player development. National quarterfinalist, right? You make it to the final eight, right? So you're competing for a national championship, you know, recruiting at a high level, playing on the big stage. Like you wouldn't imagine Dallas Turner's hitting the transfer portal just to go to Georgia, right? No, like he's like, Will Anderson was before me. I'm the guy next, right? Like you would think that Chase Burns would have a similar outlook of like Chase Dolander's the guy before me. They're going to continue to develop me. I'm going to take his role and I'm going to go top 10, but it's just not good enough. And that's where it starts to get weird for me in terms of what's okay and what's right and what's wrong. I don't think these kids are making the smartest decisions for themselves, you know, I don't, I, and I don't know what the story is, right? But like, it just seems like at what point are we just making choices for the sake of making choices, right? Like, now if there's a developmental aspect of it, sure. If you didn't like the way you're being developed, if you think they're the reason why you struggled this year, sure. Maybe I could see it, but it doesn't seem that way. And it seems like it's a money play. It seems that way from the outside for sure, but I don't know if we're ever going to know the truth unless you're in Chase Burns' circle. Maybe he doesn't get along with his teammates. Maybe he wants to get out of Tennessee. He went to high school in Hendersonville. Maybe he's just sick and tired of being in this. You know what I mean? You won't know. You don't know. And for me, that's why, to me, it's just like one of those things that you just kind of got to, you just accept it. Because what if, what if it is the right decision? What if Chase Burns goes to LSU and he's Paul Skeens next year? What if Chase Burns goes to Vanderbilt and pitches Vanderbilt to a national championship as their one and goes top five next year? It could happen, right? Like it's, you don't know. And, and I think with every kid, the situation is going to be a little different. Could it be a money grab? Sure. You know, the, the only place where I don't like it, which it, this could be it. And, and again, I'll, I'll, I'll live with it. I don't care. At the end, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to be able to change it. But like if you just if you're using it as a threat, I'm going to go on the portal just because you're trying to extort more money out of the, the, the NIL collective of the school you're at. That's a little weird to me, but that's negotiating a little bit. Right. And and that's kind of the door that we opened up. Right. When, when, when NIL became a thing, which I'm in support of, and we were going to do, you know, we were going to allow the one-time transfer exception and, and let guys go places um, as they please. We opened up essentially kind of negotiations between these university collectives and the players. And um, that's just the facts of the matter. Does it stink? Do I understand why people are upset if, you know, four teams in college baseball have bigger collective pots than others? Yeah, but I, I, I still think there's so much unknown. And that's what makes it so hard to kind of wrap for people to wrap their head around right now and why it bothers so many people is because you don't actually know. None of it's public. When, you know, when Juan Soto goes to negotiate his free agent contract, every other day we're going to be hearing figures and dollar amounts. It's going to be very public. This isn't, right? You don't know. 
You know, you will hear a, a rumor, a murmur on a message board every once in a while about how much a kid's making in NIL, but it's never actually, it never comes out. You never know what the actual amount is. So I think that's what makes it a little bit weirder for people too, because there isn't a press conference. You know, when if, if Chase Burns transfers to LSU, they're not going to have a press conference where they put the jersey on them and reporters get to sit there and ask a question, right? Like when a guy signs a free agent deal yeah. in, in professional sports. So I think all of those things make it hard from the outside. Um, but I got to ask you this. Doesn't a part of you, doesn't it make it kind of fun? Being a fan, doesn't makes it make it, it kind of fun? The possibility yeah. of thinking yeah. like, oh, where where could Chase Burns go and fit? Oh, putting him in that yeah. rotation is fun. Free Kobe agency Shelton is before great. He Florida. Yeah, like, right? Like, oh, man, you're going to, you know, it was kind of obvious that Petrutz was going to go to Alabama and, and, and you know, that's kind of where his – and that is where he's going to end up. But it was like, oh, imagine putting him in this lineup or that lineup or Danny Corona even now. It's a guy with a left-handed stick with a lot of juice. You could see him fitting into a lot of lineups, right? And there's going to be a lot of teams who want him. And that's like kind of, that for me, I just kind of try and take it that way where it's kind of fun. As a fan, if you're a fan of a team, of course it's going to hurt a little bit. Yeah, I I saw this tweet on Twitter and I figured it'd, it'd be a good time to to read it because I think it, it resonates with what we're talking about. And it's by Wes Rucker who covers Tennessee baseball and football and, and every Tennessee sports for 24 seven sports. Chase Burns doesn't need Tennessee because he'll be a first rounder next year. Either way, Tennessee baseball doesn't need Chase Burns because it recruits at a high level every year, but this is still so sad and so, so stupid. This is the most mind boggling transfer I've seen. And that's the way I kind of feel about it. Right. Like, and I know he's, he's a Tennessee fan, but like, at, at, and again, we don't know. We don't know. And I know that is probably not the entertaining side of podcasting is saying we don't know. And what it's like, we, you know, as an, as a world, we like to put our brains and, and our thinking caps on and think we know everything that's going on in Chase Burns' situation or Tennessee baseball situation. But it's just one of those that from the outside, it's hard to see the reason why. Um, like every other example we've used, you can kind of see a reason why when a player of this caliber at a program of their caliber just don't match. It's just weird. Was he rubbed by the bullpen move for some reason? Well, sorry, Chase Burns, you didn't pitch good enough to do that. And apparently Tennessee coach Vitello has known for weeks that yeah. Burns was planning on entering the transfer portal. So that would tell me it would be something along the lines of bullpen Right. And I would think the opposite. No, I think it, if it's been a couple of weeks of like, Hey, I really don't like this move to the bullpen. I don't think it's best for my future. Maybe. That's kind of the timeline to me uh, of how it would but be. What's I weird think to me, to the reason I really don't buy into that is like oh, Chase Burns was going to be in the rotation to open up the year next year. Yeah. But as our good friend, Tommy Cockhill said, 19 20 year old kids correct think they like don't that. care right they don't like think they, like their that. feelings but, were hurt and they think you were doing it to to spite them and and i don't think tony vitello is the easiest person to play for i don't i think you have to have i think you certainly have to be you have to be a certain type of person to play for someone that that is that way and that goes that's across the board right like every college you know every baseball coach every head coach every sport is different and they all have different styles, and and sometimes player doesn't match 
the coach, right? You just don't get along. You don't like playing for that person. Could be something along those lines. You don't know. And, and I hear you. But again, this is the way it is. And, and if Chase Burns didn't like the way Tony Vitello was doing something, I'm happy Chase Burns now in this age of college baseball has the right to go play somewhere where he feels like he'll better fit. Right. Yeah. right? Instead of like, if, if he really doesn't get along with his head coach in the past, he'd be stuck there. or He'd have to sit out a year and that'd really hurt his draft stock in his future. He doesn't have to anymore. He can go somewhere. And yeah, would it stink if, if every big transfer goes to LSU for the rest of, as we know it, and they win 12 straight national championships. Yeah, that'll really stink. But I don't foresee that happening. Yeah. No, it, it'll be interesting. It makes for fun fun things to follow. I remember how exciting last offseason was um, just with the guys that ended up at LSU and being like, ooh, this lineup's going to be really good. This pitching staff's going to be really good. And it's going to be similar. And it, it'll be fun to see how it unfolds. I mean, Colby Shelton playing third base for the Gators next year is going to be a lot of fun. He gets two years with that program. Uh, there's a ton of other guys that we've already mentioned, and I'm sure a ton of guys that we haven't mentioned that are still probably going to intend to enter the portal and, and see where it takes them. And, and depending on where they end up, it's a, you know, like for new program uh, head coaches like Wes Johnson going to Georgia, right? Like he's got a chance to really build a contender quick uh, if he really wants to hit the transfer portal hard. And, and we saw it with Kirk Sarlos in year two. He's been dominating the transfer portal with some smaller additions. Now they're starting to get a little bit bigger. Jim Slosnagel in year one, he built his whole team off of the transfer portal and that that Texas A&M team and across the country, it's very similar when a lot of teams. So this off season is going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of storylines to, to cover specifically. And I think it's going to be one that for college baseball fans, obviously we aren't going to be doing as many episodes a week. We've been doing three a week for the college baseball recently, but uh, definitely going to be something that we're keeping an eye on and, and we'll probably get on here and talk about often. Yeah, it's going to be great. I mean, and again, it, it, be a fan. If you're a fan and, and I get it, if you have a, a favorite team and watching your favorite players from your favorite team walk out the door definitely stinks, but that's just the way of the world that we're in. Have you seen any of the uh, U.S. national team yeah, seen some. workouts? Yeah, I have. I love that kid. He's very good. He's very He's good. very good. We got to get I'll also there. tell you. Yeah, we do. Um but I will also tell you this is kind of uh something that I that's been brought to my attention. Would you be surprised actually this segment we're not going to go long on it is brought to you by Routine Baseball, our good friends over at Routine Baseball for all of your clothing needs. We're super excited to announce that we are partnering with them. Uh, so head over to Routine Baseball. You can get a ton of different options for shirts, hoodies, shorts, sunglasses, and any baseball style you could imagine. Go to routine.com slash backside ground ball. Again, routine.com slash backside ground ball and check out all the different options they have and receive 10% off, 10% off your order today. So Dan, um, new age of college baseball, right? We're sitting here today. 
Would you be surprised if I told you that instead of being out on the road recruiting high school players, that college coaches are in the Cape Cod recruiting? No. That's where I don't like it, but I I would 100% expect that to be the case. I would absolutely expect that to be the case. Why wouldn't you? Flooded. Cape Cod right now is flooded with college coaches. I'm sure. I mean, you're not going to see better baseball than it. Right, like if you're going out to identify talent, and a lot of these guys are moving and shaking, and and there's so much activity in the portal. Well, they're in the portal, right? Like, so right, I think that's right. that's the key. There's there's a lot of guys up there that are in the portal specifically. Yeah, but you also know there's guys that aren't in the portal that are getting recruited up there. Yeah, I mean that's a little winking and hey, winking a nod. You want to go down to to the seafood shop and and grab a bite to eat from the table next to me and talk about your future. Yeah, sure. I mean, if you're a coach at a, at a nationally recognized program, you can, you can definitely swing that. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, that's, that's where a lot of, or, or a lot of universities are sending their coaches right now is to be up in the Cape Cod recruiting transfer portal players, getting eyes on them, seeing how they stack up against that level of competition. I mean, the list of schools that I, that I got um, from, from somebody I know who's up there, was you name it if they weren't if they weren't playing right so the only two teams that were left playing were obviously the the ones in Omaha if you weren't playing they were there and they're watching baseball every day I believe it so it's it's What's interesting to see in Cape Cod than Flemington New Jersey well those teams also don't recruit in Flemington New Jersey well, you know to be you, honest with I'm you. sorry you get I'd rather recruit in the Cape Cod in the summer than Lake Point Georgia. <laughs> Yeah, I would too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> not a bad destination um, to spend your summer. No, not at all. But <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the new reality of college baseball as it stands today. So crazy times. Um, like I said, we we are going to try to get people on that are in it at that level um, and get their perspective on why they're up in the Cape Cod. What are they looking at up in the Cape Cod? Things like that. Try to parlay our way into some, maybe some guests that have that perspective. But obviously, Dan, do you, do you want to talk about what, what our listeners should be expecting from us moving forward a little bit? Sure. Do you want me to, do you want me to do it? Or do you, I didn't, is that a question of, do I want you to do it? Or do you want me to say it? Either or you tell me. <laughs> Yeah, I think we're going to continue to uh, cover the college game, I think, a little bit more throughout the offseason, as you said before. Um, a little bit of MLB here and there. We got to get back onto our, our – we got to put our MLB hats back on. Um, I think we've had them all for a couple weeks now, but um, hopefully some pretty big interviews coming up and um, also some in-person stuff is what I think the vision is for us uh, moving forward here. Um, but only exciting things. And those of you who have been around from the beginning, we really appreciate it. And you're the reason why, and all of you that are new as well, you're the reason why that we're, we're continuing to try and build and grow this thing because you guys, for some reason, keep coming back, which we appreciate. Yeah. And by live in-person stuff, he means kickback Jackson, Garner, North Carolina. We're going to go live from the bar. 
um, as as we do often. Um, no, not not at all. But a part of our college baseball coverage as well is going to definitely be diving into the draft. We're obviously getting a lot closer to that. So whether that would be guests who are obviously well versed on all the players across the country, or just Dan and I diving into guys that we've seen over the course of this year and guys that we like, and then obviously for any MLB fans that have been tuning in for these college baseball episodes, we've loved this trip all the way through Omaha. But we're going to be getting back into that uh we might be a little rusty come wednesday thursday whenever we do record that episode because we've been so dialed in on the college game but we obviously do want to get back into the the major league baseball talk and and really what we started this podcast to do but interviews 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 we're going to be trying to get as many of those out as possible from all different people across the game of baseball that's what we want to do that's what we've seen a lot of listeners want to hear uh so just really stay in tune for a lot of content obviously we're disappointed that the college baseball season is over felt like it absolutely flew by and and we're cramming these episodes in once a week obviously until we got to the postseason but super excited for what we have moving forward we think it's just the beginning of what's hopefully going to be super special and who knows a year from today dan you think we're going to be flying all three of us phoebe included is going to be flying back from omaha i can't speak for phoebe but i think so that's, well that's she'll be her oh of course absolutely but i think i'll be yes we'll be flying back from omaha if she wants to be there she go. will be as well Oh, you always got to throw in some caveat in there why can't you just say yes yes i do <laughs> There we go. Well, thank you to all our listeners for tuning in as that will conclude our episode for today. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and anywhere you find your pods. We post episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, always hitting your feed at 7 a.m. sharp. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at BacksideGB, Instagram at BacksideGroundBalls, and TikTok at Backside Ground Ball. And most importantly, make sure you're sharing with five friends. And until next time, we'll see you guys on the next episode of the Backside Ground Balls podcast.